Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. We do have Bibles underneath the chairs on the racks. Um, You can turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And we are very glad that you're here with us this morning. As you're turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, you know, nations have been at war with one another since recorded history. Nations fighting against nation. And there's always been those interesting times in history where they've called a truce. They've called a ceasefire where they've stopped fighting the battle. During World War I, I don't know if you know this, but on Christmas Eve during World War I in 1914, there was an unofficial ceasefire in World War I between the UK, France, and Germany to celebrate Christmas. So World War I came to an end for two days as they celebrated Christmas, and then once Christmas was over, they went back to fighting World War I. It was just a temporary ceasefire. Back during the Korean War in 1953, there was a ceasefire between North and South Korea, which established the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone. And technically, there was no formal end to the war between North and South Korea, so to this day, technically, they're still at war, even though there's a DMZ line there um, saying that there's peace between the two nations. 2005... There was a ceasefire between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And we know what that means. Really nothing to have a ceasefire between those two nations. They may be at a ceasefire, but they technically are still at war. Now you may be asking the question, what does Palm Sunday have to do with war, with ceasefires, with truces? What all does this have to do with Palm Sunday? Sunday. We're going to see here in just a moment, but there's a fundamental truth that the Bible teaches from cover to cover. The fundamental truth that the Bible teaches from cover to cover is this. Every single human being is born into this world an enemy of God, at odds with God declaring war against God in rebellion against God because of our sin. We've all been born with a sin nature that puts us at odds with the holy God. And so the question that every single person has to wrestle with, the question that all of us have to to grapple with is this. If God is holy and righteous and perfect and I am sinful, and I'm separated from this holy God, how in the world do I personally have a right relationship with this God? How do I have a relationship of peace with this God? How do I experience true peace with my Creator? 
And I think the answer comes to us this morning in Luke chapter 19 as we see Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The last week of his life, his mission is to go to Jerusalem to die on a cross, to rise again. And you may be very familiar with this story, but we're going to read it together this morning and see what God has for us in the triumphal entry. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. Luke 19, starting in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. That's Jesus. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the Sunday before Jesus goes to the cross to die for our sins. It's Palm Sunday. And here's the point that I think Luke is trying to hammer home to us to understand the words of Jesus and the significance of this event. It's simply this. Don't miss today's opportunity to receive Jesus as the King who can bring you true peace with God. Don't miss today's opportunity. We're going to see that in the text. Today is an opportunity to receive Jesus as your king who can give you true peace with God. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we see three descriptions that announce who Jesus is, tell us why he's come, set the stage for the cross and the resurrection. As he comes in on this colt riding into Jerusalem, what do we find out about Jesus? What are these three descriptions? Here's description number one. First of all, Jesus is the king 
who has supernatural knowledge of all things. Jesus is the king who has supernatural knowledge of all things. Now, notice carefully what happens. What does Jesus tell the disciples to do? He sends two disciples ahead of him into the village and says, go find a colt that's tied up, that's never been ridden before, and go untie it. And when you get there and they ask you, why are you untying this? You simply need to tell them, the Lord has need of it. And what do we find out in verse 32? Verse 32, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Now, did Jesus know this was going to happen? Did Jesus make prearrangements with the owners? The Bible doesn't tell us. All that we know is that Jesus sovereignly set up the situation to where it happened exactly as he had told them. As a matter of fact, when you go back and read the original language there, when it says in verse 32, he found it just as he had told them, just as, it actually means it was actually predestined to happen. It was God's prophetic plan to happen. It happened exactly as Jesus had told them it was going to happen. For you see, this was a prophecy of Scripture. The Old Testament's very clear about how Christ would come into Jerusalem. It goes back to what was prophesied in the, in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9, written hundreds of years before this event, says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, this is the sovereign prophetic timetable. And Jesus said it's going to happen exactly as you're going to, is it's going to happen, disciples. And I find this interesting. The disciples go and they start untying the colt. And the owners come up and say, what are you doing? Now, if you were untying a colt, it looked like maybe you were stealing the colt. I don't know. What's their answer? The Lord has need of it. Okay, take it. The Lord has need of this colt. In other words, if Jesus wants this to happen, it's going to happen. The Lord is in control. The Lord has set this up. The Lord, the king, is going to be riding into Jerusalem. And that's the only answer they needed to hear. The Lord has need of it. So they gave the colt up. Now, what are the implications of this? That Jesus has supernatural knowledge of all things. That he has this prophetic eyesight to see all things. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this may be a little unsettling for you that Jesus has perfect knowledge. Because if you try to run away from Jesus or you try to hide from Jesus, he sees everything about your life. He knows everything about you, the minutest detail. He sees the secret sins in your heart that nobody else sees. He knows everything. Hebrews 4.13 says this, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. So if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, this may be a little unsettling that the Lord Jesus has supernatural knowledge of all things. He knows you. He sees you. He's sovereignly watching you. 
Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it should give you great encouragement. Jesus knows you. Jesus sees you. Jesus sovereignly has all things in control. He holds you in his grip. He's got a plan for your life. He's got all things worked out. He has supernatural knowledge of all things. He is the Lord. The Lord has need of the donkey. And it was just exactly as Jesus said it would happen. So the point here is is that no matter who we are, we are to bow to Jesus as the king. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Number one, Jesus has supernatural knowledge of all things. He's the Lord. He's, everything happens according to his prophetic timetable. But here's the second thing we see about Jesus in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is the king who's worthy of our joyous worship. Now, we know prophetically, according to Zechariah chapter 9, that Jesus would ride in on a donkey into Jerusalem. But you stop to stop and say, why, why on a donkey? Why is he riding in on a donkey? If you go back to the Old Testament, a lot of the Israelite kings rode into Jerusalem on a donkey at their coronation when they were going to be coronated as king. So this is a symbolic act of Jesus entering into Jerusalem as the king. Now, what kind of king did they want? The people wanted really a military leader who would oust the Roman Empire and set up his own kingdom in Jerusalem. They wanted more of a political warrior than they wanted someone to come and die for their sins and rise again. So Jesus humbly comes in on a donkey. And notice in verse 37, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. It's reached a fever pitch. Everybody's worshiping Jesus. Everybody's praising him. They're they're declaring the glorious works of the Lord. As a matter of fact, they're quoting Psalm 118. They're quoting out loud Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says this in verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. What does verse 38 see? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You notice how they changed the wording? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is the king. He's coming to Jerusalem. But what is Jesus coming to bring? There's a repetition of words in this passage of Scripture that tell us what Jesus is coming to bring us. Notice what it says there. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus has come to bring peace. Now this should remind you of something. What was the angelic announcement at Easter time? What did the angels announce when Jesus was born? Back in the same book of Luke, Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus comes to give peace. Now, what kind of peace did Jesus come to give? Is it a fuzzy, hippie, hey, man, let's give peace a chance? What kind of peace is Jesus giving us? 
When the Bible talks about peace, it is an objective peace that comes through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, bringing us into a right relationship with the holy God. Paul describes what the cross of Christ has done in bringing us peace. In Romans chapter 5, 9 through 10, Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's interesting, there's two things Paul says that the blood of Christ has done. First of all, the blood of Christ saves us from the wrath of God. Now you may think, well, what in the world is the wrath of God? When Jesus died on the cross and he had his arms extended with the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet and the crown of thorns on his head. In those dark hours when he's hanging there on the cross, all of God's justice, all of God's penalty that should have been aimed at you and me because of our sin came down upon Jesus and his body. So in his body, he exhausted that justice. He absorbed that justice. He took that penalty that you and I deserve to take in the cross. And it also says, number two, we were reconciled. We were enemies that were reconciled. He brought reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile? Reconciliation means there's two parties that are at odds. And they need to be brought back together into a right relationship. And so the Bible says because of our sin, we are enemies of God. God is holy. We are sinful. We can't bring ourselves into a right relationship. Only Jesus can through the cross. And so when he died on the cross, when he shed that blood, he was bringing us into a peace relationship with our creator. That is true peace. So when Jesus says he's coming to bring peace... When he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to bring peace, it's not just this feeling of, hey, I have a peaceful, easy feeling. No, I'm coming to die on the cross so that those who are separated against a holy God could be brought into a right relationship. They could be accepted. They could be forgiven. That is true peace with God. And when you experience the full weight of that, When you stop and you think to yourself, I should have been the one that died on that cross because of my sin and Christ died in my place. When you believe that, when you think about that, when you come to realize what Christ has done for you, it should lead to nothing but joy, nothing but worship, nothing but crying out to him. When you think about having peace with God, it should bring tremendous joy to your heart. Now what's going on here? They're lifting their voices, they're praising God, they're worshiping Him. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, Hey, they're a little bit out of control, Jesus. A little too fanatical, Jesus. They're worshiping you too much. Make them be quiet. Shut these guys down. They're too fanatical. And what does Jesus say? I can't shut them down. Even if I were to shut them down, Inanimate objects like rocks are going to cry out. You ever thought about that? If you don't worship Jesus, the rocks are going to do it for you. So here's the point. Don't let the rocks get the better of you when worshiping Jesus. 
Now, I've never heard a rock rejoicing when I've been walking in the woods, you know, you're walking. Have you ever thought about that? You're, you're hiking in the woods and like, I'm hiking, I'm, not, I'm just paying, paying attention to, to nothing. I'm walking and not thinking about anything. And there's a rock right there. It could be that rock's worshiping Jesus because I'm not. I don't know. I've never heard a rock cry out. But Jesus here says, if we don't worship him, even the rocks are going to cry out. I do not want my worship to Jesus to go to an inanimate object like a rock. So you can't help but cry out to Jesus in joy when you realize that he's brought you peace. So number one, he is the sovereign king who knows all things. He has supernatural knowledge of all things. Number two, he's the king that is worthy of your joyous worship. But here's the third thing that we see from this passage of Scripture. Jesus is the king who has compassion toward sinners. Verse 41, he stands over Jerusalem. And he weeps. This is not just a few little sobby tears that Jesus cries. The word there in the original language means he broke out into wailing. A deep emotional outburst. He's weeping. He's crying over the lostness of the city of Jerusalem that is not accepting him as their Messiah. Matthew 9.36 says this. When Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. I wonder if that describes you this morning. Like a sheep without a shepherd. Aimless. Hopeless. Directionless. Lost. Harassed. Not knowing where you're going in life, alienated from God. But here's the good news it's just those types of people that Jesus loves to save. If you're lost, if you're aimless, if you're wandering, if you're helpless and you're hopeless, Jesus loves to save people like that. It's those who think they've got it all together and those who've had their whole life charted out and those that think they're in control, those that think they are sovereign, those that think they are the Lord, those are the ones that are prideful. You see, when you come to the end of your rope and realize I have nothing and I'm lost and I am hopeless and I need the compassion of Jesus Christ, that's when he comes to you in his salvation. But you see, for the city of Jerusalem, it would be too late. It would be too late. Jesus is moved to tears over what's going to happen in Jerusalem. What happened that day and what would happen in A.D. 70. Because notice what Jesus says in verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known of this day the things that make for peace. What's Jesus saying? Jerusalem, I'm coming in riding on the donkey as your king to bring you true peace. Peace with your God. Peace through salvation on the cross. Peace through dying on the cross and rising in. I'm coming to bring you true peace, but you're not receiving it. Would that you would know that this is the peace that you need. And then he goes on to say what's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. The days will come upon you. Enemies are going to surround you. They're going to barricade you on every side. One, not one stone is going to be left upon the other. It's a dire warning 
about the destruction of Jerusalem that actually happened in A.D. 70. In the year A.D. 70, the Roman troops marched into Jerusalem. They ransacked the wall, they burned the city down, and they destroyed the temple. And it was an act of judgment in history upon that generation of Jews who did not receive Christ as their Messiah at that time. And notice what Jesus says in verse 44. The very end of verse 44 is key to this whole thing. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because, because, what's the reason for all of this? What's the reason for the judgment? What's the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem? What is the reason? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. What in the world does that mean, the time of your visitation? In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I'm coming into town today on a donkey, and I'm going to the cross to die and rise again. I am visiting you today. Today is the day of your visitation, but you're rejecting it. You're turning a blind eye to it. You're not receiving me as the king. You're walking away from it. You're rejecting your Messiah on this day of visitation. And because of that, because you did not receive me today, on this day of visitation, there is judgment. You see, here's the same thing for us today. Today is the day of your visitation. Today is the day where Christ is calling to you to receive him as the king. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4, 7. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today. The warning all throughout scripture is there is a day called today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed another breath. Today is the day of visitation. Today is the day where you've heard the message of Jesus Christ. Today is the day where you've seen Jesus Christ portrayed as the King of kings and Lord of lords. You've been given light. Do not extinguish that light by refusing the King who has come to save you. Be alarmed if you reject the message. Because here's what happened to Jerusalem when they rejected their Savior. Jesus came on the day of visitation and said, I'm offering you peace. And they rejected him. So Jesus came just a few years later on another day of visitation, A.D. 70. And instead of bringing peace upon Jerusalem, he brought destruction. There's something far greater than the destruction of Jerusalem upon those who reject Jesus. Today's the day of visitation. Today's the day of grace. Today's the day of opportunity. Today's the day to receive Jesus. But if you do not, there's another day of visitation. There's a day of impending visitation. There's a day of ultimate visitation. The Bible calls that the day of judgment. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 says this, When 
The Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The people of Israel on the day of visitation rejected the offer of peace. And in AD 70, they suffered the consequences of that rejection by another day of visitation. See, here's the thing about Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, humbly going to the cross to die and to rise again. On the day of judgment, he's not going to be coming riding in on a donkey. He's going to be riding on a white horse as king of kings and lord of lords. And listen to how Revelation describes the coming of Jesus as the king on the ultimate day of visitation. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, that means crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, here's the point. Today is the day of visitation. Today is the day of opportunity. Today is the day where Christ stands ready to receive all who would come to him. By repenting of their sins and trusting in him alone, he offers true peace with God. If you refuse him on this day of visitation, you're not guaranteed that there's another day. And I don't want anybody in this room to face him on that final day of visitation when he doesn't come on a donkey, but he comes on a white horse. So don't miss today. Don't miss today's opportunity. You can have true peace with God when you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus as the only king, the only way, the only one who can get you into a right relationship with your creator. Today's the day. Don't miss the opportunity of the visitation of the Lord on your life today. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Father, thank you for your mercy in coming to us today, Lord. We've, we've heard the message, and as we hear the message, we're responsible for the message. And nobody can leave this place saying, I didn't know. So, Lord, my prayer is if there's anybody here today that's never trusted you, that's never come to you, that's never experienced the forgiveness of sins, never experienced that peace that comes through a right relationship with you, that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, we thank you for your death, your burial, your resurrection. We look forward to 
worshiping you this week as we think about all the things that happened during Holy Week, as we prepare for Good Friday, as we prepare for next Sunday on Easter. Lord, we're thankful for all the ways that you've been good to us. Help us to take this message to heart today and realize that today is the opportunity for us to be saved. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.